Hey everybody, it's the Bucket Cast, hosted by yours truly, BucketReviews.com film critic and podcaster, yes, podcaster Danny Baldwin, and joining me once again on the show is your now permanent co-host, Michael, please don't stab me with a meat thermometer in the neck during this show, Lester. Um... Yeah, we, you know, really you, need to work on this, like I, 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 ebb and flow here. I know, know I tend like, to zone out when you do your opening, yeah. mainly because you would always, you know, in the, the old show, you'd always just like you know go you know, on for five more minutes before I even got a chance to jump in. So I just tend to, you know. Well, let's talk about stabbing people in the necks with meat thermometers. I, I don't know if our listeners, I mean, this is kind of a Southern California specific story, but maybe it's made waves on the internet, I'm sure. But in the latest gang rage, Lancaster, <laughs> you know, it's Lancaster when there's meat thermometers going into necks in public. Uh, exactly that happened. It was an afternoon, I think afternoon. No, 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 because I saw it at nighttime. What am I talking about? Showing of Shutter Island and a woman in the audience is texting on her cell phone the entire time. So someone like, um, Michael or me, well, maybe a little bit more fed up than we could get because we've ignored these people many times, but who knows? This person was probably texting throughout the entire show, but a good Samaritan, uh, goes up to this woman and tells her to turn off her cell phone. So what happens? Well, minutes later, she and her entire posse attack this guy and, and a neck goes in or a meat thermometer goes into his neck and he's suddenly in a coma. I don't know if he's recovered or not. Do you... <laughs> I, I don't know anything about it, but I mean, me, <laughs> like my response from me is the same, a meat thermometer? Only in Lancaster. And you know, I always had these idealizations that I would go to Crenshaw and see a Tyler Perry movie with its like native audience, uh, big black population, but of course gang territory. And you know, I don't, <laughs> as if I was going to do that already, I think I'm a little bit farther away from doing that because this is a good reminder that Movie theaters are not immune to violence, as safe as they may seem. Well, I, I you know, I, I can't get it out of my head. I was thinking the other night, someone was texting during the movie, uh, She's Out of My League, and I was like, I really should say something. And I was like, well, somebody got stabbed in the neck with a meat thermometer. In La Jolla, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. It doesn't matter where I am. It still goes through my mind that I could get a meat thermometer stuck in my neck. Yeah. I wonder what the temperature was, if it was good. I mean, they could have been planning on eating him or something. At least it wasn't Hannibal Lecter. It was Shutter <laughs> Island, though. You know, interesting enough, in, in one of my communication classes, apparently movies with violence can make people more violent. It's statistically proven while that's going on. And <laughs> And that's why they postulate like a lot of shooting. I mean, get get Richard I trying. There was a shooting. Notorious. There was a shooting. Uh, and you know, you wonder if if Shutter Island uh, pushed somebody over the edge, even if they were a gang member already. <laughs> but on to lighter topics. Well, uh, first of all, this is kind of an interesting bucket cast because we have so much to talk about, and we don't want to have another hour long show like last week. We're really trying to avoid that. So we're going to be separating this into two shows. Show number one, this show is going to be posted tonight. And then show number two will go up tomorrow, Monday morning, and you can listen to them both and give us your feedback and enchant us with your listenership. So on this show, well, actually, let's talk about next show, Michael. What, what have we got on the lineup for next show? Uh, next show, we're going to be talking about uh, She's Out of My Leagues. Um, that's going to be our, our title one. But we're also going to be doing the shorts. Uh, we did the animated shorts last week. Oscar nominated. The, the Oscar nominated ones. So now we're going to you know, review the live action ones, just kind of see what's up since they're on video on demand. 
And then we'll uh, do actually a retrospective on the uh, late Corey Haim by watching License to Drive. And this is going to be a part of an ongoing series in which we'll review three movies by Corey Haim, License to Drive, tonight. And then we have uh, Lucas, Mm -hmm. one of his first roles, four stars from Roger Ebert. Really looking forward to that. And his most well-known. Yeah, next show. And then at the end of March, we're going to have a review of the infamous vampire film lost boys so that will be up and then maybe we'll turn that in give us your comments back on that because maybe we'll turn it into a monthly feature and we'll do retrospectives on one performer or director throughout each month and and speaking of comments we hate to disappoint the one person who emailed us this past week (laughs) this show is going to be the the artsy show i'm sorry i think you should tell them what this person said i believe his name was poblo Poblo said uh, we need to stop doing all the artsy stuff in our show and focus mainly on kick-ass. Which actually premiered two nights ago at South by Southwest, but neither of us were there. So, uh, yeah. But, I, uh, you know, if you want to... Well, actually, I was planning on going to South by Southwest, but that's a long I, story. I mean, as much as I'd like to, I don't know if I could fill the next you know month or so with... Uh, all kick-ass podcast yeah although not quite real artsy is the very mainstream movie green zone that's not to say it's a good movie we're going to be reviewing that on tonight's show and two movies hitting video on demand as well in the sunday sundance selects category those are pretty artsy but first i just want to talk about a progress report for our friends at ultra star cinemas i went to one ultra star showing this week and michael i think maybe they listened to this podcast and got my letter because it wasn't perfect, but it was an improvement. I went to the La Costa location, and the masking on the screen came out for a scope show. That was big. Impressive. And the sound was not bad. I mean, it's the best La Costa could get. I can sympathize with poor sound systems, because at the theater we used to work at, six of the auditoriums weren't even surround. Uh, so... Uh, they made improvements, but the light on the image was still way too dim. The bulb was turned down to an extraordinary level. And also, the booth light was on. Projectionist, why did you have to leave the booth light on, leaving that glare on the screen? But better than usual. So I'd say Ultrastar La Costa is making progress. And Ultrastar, just talk to us. I know you've gotten this because... There have been several tweets and retweets of all of our comments about this podcast. And, you know, I I know they've listened to the, well, maybe not listened to the podcast, but are aware of the podcast. And I know they've definitely gotten my letter because it's a certified mail. I was going to go to She's Out of My League at the Del Mar Highlands location today, but that was just, that was too much. I thought it was the movie, a comedy. Too traumatic. Well, a comedy, (laughs) which is normally flat, is actually shot in scope. So I thought they'd maybe screw up the aspect <laughs> ratio which i couldn't take and that's the location i've had the most problems with so ultra star just get me on the phone just get me on the phone it's in my letter i just want an apology and not even any passes or anything we'll set this straight and bucket cast listeners who are still boycotting your chain michael fierce in your boycott uh yeah i've been only going to actually uh la jolla i've been going to everything but sir yes sir general commander of this boycott uh but i wait when did i get the commander i thought you're the commander no 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 that's what you're supposed to say to me i I Uh, want a loud gusto no uh but but you are improving so i just want that apology and then we'll resume it'll be fine trust me it's fine but the movie that i saw there at la costa which i feel Fit to review, even though the bulb was a little bit dim. It's called Green Zone. It stars Matt Damon, and I think it's one of the worst movies of the year. Michael? I don't know about worst movie of the year, but it was still pretty terrible. I said one of the worst, but one this, of the this worst. is really getting boring. We're, we're agreeing on everything. 
Well, we're going to some disagreement later. All right. Well, uh, the movie follows uh, Matt Damon's officer, Roy Miller, who's the guy in charge of finding the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And if that sounds kind of not topical to you, that's because it isn't. I think, do you know anyone, conservative or liberal, who thinks that the weapons of mass destruction still existed in Iraq? Despite I didn't the, even know it was still, like, a, a legitimate topic anymore. Like, Especially with a new president who's telling everybody, move on. The opposite. <laughs> He's not even... <laughs> I mean, these people here, this is how vociferous liberal Hollywood gets, is they're making movies still about the Bush administration, even though we're well into the Obama years. It's, it's ridiculous. And so... Matt Damon's character, Roy Miller, goes through Iraq as, you know, extended dramatic irony. What? He didn't find the weapons. And meanwhile, he's uh, confronting Amy Ryan's character, who's a Wall Street Journal reporter. Oh, it just had to be the Wall Street Journal. There's no coincidence. Even though the woman it's really based on was from the New York Times, but they had to go after the conservative paper. Uh, but... <laughs> She's basically doing dummy reporting and uh, Lori Dane, as they call her, is doing dummy reporting and just following what the press releases say and buying everything coming out of the, well, unnamed administration, of course, the Bush administration's mouth. Uh, and as that happens, Greg Kinnear's character, Clark Poundstone, is covering up all this deceit. And I won't give it away, but there's some big revelations involving bureaucrat Clark Poundstone and the conspiracy to go to the Iraq war. So while this is by all means a fictional account, you can't help but believe that Damon and Paul Greengrass, the director, and screenwriter Brian Helgeland believe what's up on screen and certainly believe that the Bush administration deliberately, uh, no doubt about it, uh, created the false intelligence just to go to war with Iraq. And as the final shot suggests, that reason was for the oil, as has been the contention of liberals everywhere since the beginning of the war, really. Um, I don't know if my, my biggest problem is necessarily with, uh, the topic as much as you, but mainly I had a problem with the cinematography. Is the well, fact that, that... No, 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 no. I mean, I understand its use, but... The, the whole shaky cam, even when there is no action, really gets annoying because it's like trying to get this very tense feeling across. But I agree with it, you. It, it really takes away from the the movie's uh, like climactic scene, which really falls flat because it's been doing the shaky cam for like the past hour and a half. Yeah, well, this movie is really being... They've used the shaky cam and things in the ads to show that it's like a Bourne movie. It's like Jason Bourne goes to Iraq and kicks some ass. Almost like it's a conservative movie, like it's 24 or something. Mm -hmm. And the technique was, of course, used in the Bourne Supremacy and the Bourne Ultimatum, Damon and Greengrass's last two movies, and was used in Paul Greengrass's masterpiece, United 93. Talk about a turnaround here, you know, goes from a political movie about the war on terror, great emotional, to something that's just didactic and propagandist. Uh, but it doesn't work here at all. I mean, it just makes you queasy. There's no reason, like you said. And He's talking fact, to a bureaucrat, and it's still the shaky cam still going. I yeah. think it's rather patronizing of the audience, because if the shaky cam is saying anything, it's that if the viewer was transplanted into Iraq 
they wouldn't be able to form like a, a concrete stare. It'd be too chaotic. It, it's supposed to take you into the action and act like you're there and you're all over the place and bobble, you know, kind of almost like a, a first person type of deal. And that's really patronizing because every time they think that the audience to infer that about the material, they have to be literally showing us that every step of the way. And they don't. I mean, we can, we get that. We can have some, you know, steady shots and, and understand the material and feel it just the same as if there's anything to feel here because it's just, I gotta say, it's one of the most propagandist movies I've seen about the war, whether it's, you know, made way into the future. I mean, we're about to celebrate the seventh anniversary of the Iraq war and rendition was more topical, which was made, what, four or five years ago. Well, I, and I think another fall of the movie is it kind of falls, all the characters really start to fall into these stereotypes that we've seen before. You know, here's the soldier that doesn't care. Here's the soldier that, you know, cares and is trying to do the right thing. Here's the, you know, the bad soldier. You know, here's the bureaucrat. Here's the news reports. Like, exactly. try, and, try and build something here, not well, just show us and, what we've seen before. And just when it starts to get off with good commentary, like, for instance, even though she's, you know, supposed to be from the Wall Street Journal, which is propagandist in and of itself... I gotta say, I kind of liked the reporter character, Lori Dane, at first, because at least it commented on something fresh, which is how the press really ignored their job in the lead-up to Iraq, which is not a new idea, but it's kind of new to these movies, because we always tend to blame the administration, not the press. So that was interesting, but ultimately, it just ends up uh, intersecting with this whole poundstone thread and furthering the idea that oh bush was bad people died and you know it's nothing new it's really pathetic i will say there's one thing i liked about the movie which is the opening sequence in which iraq is actually bombed and whether or not these are bad guys being bombed it's it's the shaky cam works it's effective yes. and it shows us it really gets you feeling the shock the situation. and awe. yeah it that that was really good but it lasts about two minutes well, because the shock and awe never leaves. Yeah. <laughs> and, oh, do you wish it uh, will? I mean, it's... And yet, I mean, this... The movie basically wants us to believe that Saddam's fictional second-in-command in this movie is ultimately a good and wise guy in the end who the mm -hmm. U.S. government just went Flagrantly against. ignored, yeah. Yeah, I mean, seriously, people. Um, so I give it half a bucket out of four. Half a bucket? I think it's one of the worst movies of the year already, and it's only March. Um, yeah, I gave it one and a half, but it's don't see it. That's yeah. the end of the story. So, uh, but also we're going to be talking next week. Here's a tease for you folks. We're going to be talking about our favorite movies about the Iraq war. Well, uh, I wouldn't necessarily about, necessarily about the Iraq war, more about like war on terrorism. I well, mean, I, but they, both of our picks have to do with Iraq in particular, yeah. not just Afghanistan, but uh, look for that. We're going to be doing two reviews on two movies that will, at this point, go unnamed. <laughs> but first, let's go a little more obscure than Green Zone, although ironically, Green Zone only grossed about $14 million this weekend on a $100 million budget. So these movies may actually make more of a profit than Green Zone ever has a chance to do. They're on video on demand, uh, one of them right now, one of them in the coming weeks. One is called My Enemy's Enemy, directed by Kevin McDonald, who did State of Play and The Last King of Scotland and Touching the Void, a lot of great movies. Um, that's available now. And then another one's called Against the Current, starring Joseph Fiennes and Justin Kirk. That's available March 24th on most major cable systems, Comcast, Cox, Cablevision, 
and Time Warner. But strangely enough, my enemy's enemy is nowhere to be found on my TV right now. I guess the San Diego market's just behind. That was <laughs> supposed to be up on March 12th, but or March 10th, actually. But I hope it's on your TV, and Michael will discuss My Enemy's Enemy, directed by Kevin McDonald. Uh, most of us are aware, if we haven't seen, about uh, Christoph Waltz's Oscar-winning performance of uh, Colonel Hans Landa in, in Glorious Bastards, but My Enemy's Enemy is kind of actually the true story, I guess, or the inspiration for the Jew hunter that Christoph Waltz plays. It's about Klaus Barbie, who was known as the Butcher of Leon, for his actions during World War II, both hunting down Jews in Holland and uh, resistance fighters in uh, France. And, you know, mainly it, it, this whole documentary is about how the United States military post-World War II hired ex-Nazis and ex-SS officers to fight communism, both in Europe and Latin America. Where Barbie goes later and has a whole odyssey fighting uh, Che Guevara and uh, in Bolivia. And, you know, ultimately, the, they, they feed into these little dictatorships that grow in places like Bolivia and Chile. And, I mean, to me, the, the whole thing felt stranger than fiction um, to a point, you know, where they, they're explaining how the Catholic Church was uh, helping anti-communist Catholics out of the country, such that, you know, such as Dr. Joseph Mengele and uh, Adolf Eichmann, who helped us, you know, come up with the final solution during the war. Here's and the problem I have with the movie. <laughs> I take it you liked the movie. I I felt you know maybe it was a little bit dry, but I felt like it had some worthy things to say. And, and let's keep in mind this is a documentary, folks. It's just a uh, combination of archival footage and talking heads and narration. But I I feel like it, it did a, a good job overall and left us with a good question. Here's the problem I have with the movie, and that's that the movie seemingly doesn't know what it wants to be. At the beginning, we're talking a lot about the whole My Enemy's Enemy concept of the title, which is that the United States kind of endorsed these people and used them for their uh, advantage. But then it just kind of becomes a portrait of Barbie in particular, and the two themes don't really meld well. You want the movie almost to take a side on whether the United States should have been doing this or not, or even entertain the moral dilemma, because there's a good argument to be made that there's actually only one interview with a former congresswoman who, you know, is talking about, you know, whether this was good or bad for the country or not, and what the moral dilemmas therein are. And it just seems kind of half-baked, only to settle into this obscure portrait of Barbie, which is just... Uh, like a PBS documentary in that, oh, this was wild. This is, as you say, stranger than fiction. But where does it go? What's it telling us? And you want it to get into the title more, but it never does. And it feels like a really strange mesh of the two. So ultimately, I kind of left it feeling as though it was something that I might watch in a high school history class which is not really a compliment to McDonald's, who has done... I mean, Touching the Void is one of my favorite... Full of reenactments is one of my favorite documents. Have you seen Touching the Void, Michael? I think I have. I can't Such remember. a great movie. And, uh, you know, it's, I think this is a real disappointment coming from McDonald's. There are some very, very interesting bits. I thought the whole thing about Che Guevara was really interesting. And some emotional moments at the end in which Barbie, as most of you know, was finally put on trial in France... 
And, you know, it's it's interesting to some degree, but it just felt very dry and generic and uh, care to defend. No, actually, now that you make the point, uh, I look at my notes. Half of it's about Barbie and half of it's about uh, my enemy's enemy, uh, the concept. And I, I guess I kind of agree it, it should have focused on a side. Maybe if they did my enemy's enemy and talked about that whole concept during the war, and then say Klaus Barbie is kind of like a prime example. Yeah, of this. that's well, but the movie really wants to be a portrait of Barbie, and it just it doesn't meld well. But yeah. it's only, I mean, it's only an hour and a half, and it could have done a lot more. Sometimes, you know, you feel like McDonald has definitely tackled this project because he doesn't believe in the policy, and some of it feels like it's bullying on the United States a little bit. This this doesn't have to do with any particular administration or anything. The policy was continued. Well, through the Cold War and even up into the 90s. Mm-hmm. So it just, it, it, I wanted some passion there and I didn't get it at all, except in those very emotional uh, final scenes in which you have uh, Barbie's victims testifying against him in court. But that was all stuff you could have pulled anywhere from any source, uh, you know, any documentary. And uh, that was not McDonald's rendering. So. I just, I give it two out of four. I can't get up much passion for it, but it's hardly objectionable. I enjoyed it a little bit more. I give it a three out of four. I, I think it's worth a viewing if you have the time. I mean, it's on video on demand, so what are you going to lose? Six bucks, right? I, I mean, who cares? Depending on the market, I, fine, watch it. I, you know, <laughs> it's not going to change your life and it's not going to destroy your life at its very short running time. I think it. I think it just gives like a, another story uh, to World War II that's not really often told. However, next up we have Against the Current, which is a little bit more of an. Even though it's deadpan, has a little bit more enthusiasm to it. it stars Joseph Fiennes as a guy who we find out uh, after some kind of weird opening scenes in which he discusses with an old friend played by Justin Kirk. And a new, maybe love interest, we'll see, Elizabeth Reeser. He basically forms this plan to swim the Hudson River from upstate New York down to uh, New York City. And we find out this whoops in a testament to the professionalism of the bucket cast. We've lost a bit of audio and I'm going to have to kind of connect the dots here. See this character. He's uh, swimming, and he's had this goal to swim the Hudson River for a long time. Now, why is he doing it now? Because he's going to commit suicide. Why is he committing suicide? Well, he had planned on doing it many years ago when his wife and daughter died. And his friend, Justin Kirk, talked him out of it. But he said, you know, you'll feel better in five years, and if you don't, then you can commit suicide, no questions asked. So here we are, swim and commit suicide. And this is five years later. So is this a death mission? Is it whatever? The movie is a lot lighter in tone than that would lead you to believe. There's a lot of comedy and some romance and there's an interesting diversion at Elizabeth Reeser's family home with, strangely enough, Mary Tyler Moore playing her mother and Michelle Trachtenberg as her sister. So it's okay. I mean, I thought it was kind of sitcom a little bit lackadaisical. But I kind of got involved in these characters, and the performances are not bad. I mean, I I think it's worth a watch. Oh, uh, definitely. I, I mean, I think the thing that caught my eye, obviously, was the uh, the, the frankness of dialogue from Joseph Fiennes and um, Kirk, and how just uh, candid he is about his own death, where he's just like, yeah, I'm going to quit suicide. 
it, it's no big deal. Yeah, I think it's a great performance from Joseph Fiennes, actually. And I really liked the love story with Elizabeth Reeser. It, it was mm-hmm. interesting, and, you know, we don't know where it's going to go. And I think the movie's ending is great, too. Just right, and just uh, where we want it to be. So I would give that movie two and a half out of four. I, I You know, I recommend, hey, if you don't have anything to do, check it out on VOD. But otherwise, it's not going to change your life or anything like that. <laughs> a little bit like My Enemy's Enemy, but I give this one a stronger recommendation. I got a little bit more involved in it. I think these are not exactly memorable characters, but pretty involving characters. Uh, I'm going to give it a three. Uh, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than Danny, maybe because I liked the first act a little bit more. Yeah, I thought that, you know, you mentioned the frankness of dialogue. And while that works for me, once we find out that he's uh, planning on committing suicide... But the scene, the early scene in the bar with the three of them just was kind of weird and felt like it had a lot of indie angst and just I didn't know where it was going to go. So that seemed kind of canned and artificial. But as it progresses, it feels a lot more real and a lot more organic. So, mm-hmm. you know, I give it a lighthearted recommendation. So with that, this concludes part number uno of the Bucket Cast. And next up, we'll be talking about, on part two, we'll be talking about She's Out of My League. We'll be talking about those Oscar-nominated shorts. And we will be doing a retrospective in loving memory of a great actor, Corey Haim. No. Wow. <laughs> That's a great way to celebrate his No, 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 no. We'll find out how we like License to Drive, one of the excellent 80s movies featuring both of the Corys, Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. So check that out right on BucketReviews.com. And until next time, this has been Danny Baldwin for Michael Lester. See you later. We're on the front line. I get handed down the news. We're on the front line. Well, I never begin to choose. Just we're on the front line. I get handed down the news. I'm working on the front line. I got those front line Danny, uh, I, I know it's your podcast and all and your website, but I, you know, I just don't really think you should be uh, texting during the podcast. It's kind of distracting Shut up, I me. I like my iPhone. Just, it's really distracting me from the podcast. I'm, uh, Danny, Danny, put the meat thermometer down. Please don't stab me in the... No! No! Ah!